Hi, this is Betsy Brantner-Smith with the National Police Association, and this is the NPA Report. I have with me a, a man today that I have known and known of for, for quite a long time, and he is uh, an incredibly brave man, uh, not just because he was a police officer for over three decades, um, but because he chose to protect those who protected the city of Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. And we're going to talk about what that was like and some of the things that he was involved in. Lieutenant Bob Kroll, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Betsy, and thanks for that nice introduction. Hey, so um, you were uh, a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and people have this really wrong idea about uh, Minneapolis PD. So I wanna first talk about that. Um, you know, I've been a police trainer for a number of decades. I've trained up there um, uh, many times. And the thing that people don't know about the Minneapolis, Minnesota Police Department is for decades, you have had the reputation of being the one of the best educated, best trained, most progressive and professional police departments in this country. Talk about that. You know, um, I remember early on when I was, when I was uh, graduating from high school, I had to go for a two-year degree, which Minnesota and California at that time, Betsy, were the only two states in the country that I was aware of that had to have that requirement. So they were educated, better starting off, and we've always, uh, you know, done a very good job with training here. There's a good program that since then a lot of other states have followed. You got your two-year degree, and then you went to a skills course and you got academy training. So yes, you're right. We were very highly trained in the state for many, many years, uh, all of my time in law enforcement. And you find that when, you know, getting around the country, you find that, yeah, we do have a very good department in Minneapolis. So you started on the job in the late eighties as like everybody else does as a patrol officer. And, uh, but you start to become involved in um, your police union, the, the federation, um, and uh, why did you want to get involved in that? Well, you know, I grew up, uh, my dad was a union guy, he was a union electrician, and I grew up around union people the whole time. And I immediately always went to my meetings prior, you know, prior to being elected on the board. And I had about six years on, and there was a vacancy. Um, and I ran as one of our directors. There's 10 people on the board, five of them are directors. Uh, I was a director for, you know, nine to 10 years. Then I ran for vice president. I was a president for or vice president for nine to 10 years. And then my final term, I was elected to president for the last six years. They're on two year terms. And most often uh, I was white balloted by the membership, uh, didn't have races or elections. And uh, our federation represents everybody on the job with the exception of like the top 20 appointed people. So all of our ranks of officer, sergeant, lieutenant. Uh, we're in one union and uh, I enjoyed what I did there and I stayed on the board. So there is a huge misconception in this country that police unions exist solely to keep bad cops on the job. Tell people why that's not true. Well, it, it's not true because what's not talked about is the cases of legitimate officers doing things wrong when the, the Federation looks into it and realizes, yeah, they're guilty of this. We don't grieve a lot of cases. You know, the officers and it take the discipline given to them uh, up to and including termination. And, and what's not talked about is those cases that we review where the officer is wrong, did something wrong, and we don't grieve it. You only hear about the ones where 
we challenge a case and they go to arbitration and, and oftentimes the merits are not there that warrant discipline and that's why we do what we do uh, in the disciplinary grievance process because cops do make mistakes right we are right. human um come from I, uh, a human race exactly i have taken a day or two off without pay for uh things and and you know in my 29 uh 29 year career and uh and and that happens right now i don't want to make this political but i just have to say that uh the political left tends to really like unions don't they until it comes to our profession that's interesting you bring that up because one of the things that kind of thrust me into the, the limelight. Um, you know, for, for 50 years, the city of Minneapolis has been pretty much Democrat controlled the whole time with regard to city council. Um, and, and many years, the, the police federation endorsed those candidates and they wore their uniforms at, at public appearances and um, in, in promotional ads and things. And that was enjoyed and the Democrats reaped the benefits from that. Well, as years went by, we realized that maybe the Democrats weren't representing our best interest, and we started endorsing Republican candidates on a national level, state level, city level, and they went ahead and changed the policy that, hey, you can't wear your uniform anymore, and they did it coincidentally on a president from Donald Trump. So um, they have enjoyed our endorsement for many years, and we decided, hey, they're, we realized they're not supporting police officers anymore. Why should we support them? they changed the rules of the game and wouldn't and, and so that's a a side note but when we were prohibited from wearing our uniforms uh i created the cops for trump t-shirts and i had the opportunity to talk with and meet the president so i automatically became a bad guy you know and and we're going to talk about that in a minute um everybody associates now associates minneapolis pd with the george floyd case which is completely unfair um but you were involved in some other cases prior to that in your uh, in your role with um, the Federation. And and yes. uh, and I want to talk about that, because in 2014, um, America was polarized by the Michael Brown shooting in Ferguson, Missouri. And and that began what we at the National Police Association and a lot of other entities call the war on cops, where we had a very anti-police uh, president in President Obama. He was an anti-police senator in my state of Illinois when I was still a police officer. And uh, and as soon as he became president, um, he started to go after the American law enforcement officer. And then he found an opportunity with the Michael Brown case to really go after us. And, uh, and that bled over into um, lots of other police agencies, including in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, right, with a couple of cases you guys had to deal with. Right, and, and you summarized the Obama uh, administration very well in that um, there, there did become a war on cops. And I got elected to president in 2015, shortly after the, the uh, Ferguson incident. And we had our own one call, it was Jamar Clark here. Um, and there have been several since, but there, there was a false narrative out there that our officers handcuffed, laid down and shot and killed Jamar Clark, which was completely untrue. Uh, no one, of course, would sign their name to a statement stating that, but that was the narrative that was captured in the media and ran with. And I was very vocal standing up for our officers saying, no, the investigation will reveal that they did nothing wrong and their actions were lawful and proper. And the end result, that's exactly what occurred. Uh, it didn't stop the media and the left from villainizing me, though. I have to ask, because again, MPD, you had... Um... 
very progressive chiefs. Um, you know, this was this MPD was hardly the face of white supremacy. Let me just say that, <laughs> um, you know, and male white supremacy. I mean, you just weren't. You had various chiefs, um, you know, uh, 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 open lesbian chief. You had, uh, you know, African-American chief, you know, all that. Um, why do you think you guys were so in the crosshairs um, politically? You know, you bring up an interesting point, and it, it's well documented that the only thing underrepresented in our promoted ranks of the Minneapolis Police Department were the white males. I mean, we were a very diverse department, and a lot of that diversity held rank in powerful positions in the department. Um, so that, that's an interesting point. But the community in Minneapolis is very, very progressive left. And, uh, you know, it just seems like it's never enough. And for whatever reason, you know, the, the heterosexual white males are the villains in this in this town. You know, you we did have a, a, a wealth of diversity um, and we did get along within the ranks, too. You know, there we I got along well with the, the chiefs of police that I negotiated labor agreements with. And there was this false narrative that, you know, the, the MPD is these big, big, bad wolves, you know, and it's a bunch of rogue white cops. And it's just it couldn't be further from the truth. You're absolutely right. And let me ask you, uh, just as a law enforcement expert, does your skin color, Bob, or your sexuality affect your job as a police officer? Not a bit. And there's a, there's a thing that I always point to that, well, you're stopping that car because, and you can throw in the race or something. And, and the real realization is, is half your hours are working in the dark. And I always say, well, tell me the race of that vehicle in front of you, who's driving what you can never see. And you, you, you being a cop know that, but the general public doesn't get that. I'm okay. Next time you're driving down the road, tell me the race of the driver in front of you at night, you, and you can't. So that it's it's again, it's a false narrative that's pushed for whatever reason, and it's it's strange. But I don't, I, I can't put a finger on why they want to do that. Right. So at some point, uh, you married um, your local CBS anchor. Uh, your wife, Liz Collin, is uh, she's just a gem. Let me just say that. And, uh, and she's been a, a guest on my show and, uh, and you guys got married and it was great, right? I mean, nobody cared that you were married to a, a journalist and nobody seemed to care that she was married to a cop, right? Until 2020. Right. Um, it, it was a non-issue. And I think the thing that really put that in the spotlight, we kept our, we kept our professional lives completely separate and it wasn't well known. Um, when President Trump came to town during a re-election campaign, um, I had an opportunity to call on stage and meet him and then became very polarized. And they made the association with Liz and I being married. Um, we, we got our five-year anniversary in a few days here, but it was never an issue until politics kind of got injected into our lives. And then um, you know, all the, the labeling they did for President Trump just spilled over onto me and then unfortunately spilled over onto her. And it ended up being the demise of her career with the, the CBS affiliate here in Minneapolis. And President Donald Trump, whether you like him or not, uh, was the most pro-law enforcement president, I think, Bob, in our lifetimes, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, as a side note, I had the opportunity to meet the man, one of the nicest men you would ever meet, um, truly cared the, the night that he was at a rally here in Minneapolis, not just him, not just his vice president, but everyone on his staff went out of their, out of their way to say how important law enforcement was to the president. 
And his policies reflected that. And you're right. And I have heard this, you know, we, my husband and I still travel around the country in train cups and every police officer that we've ever talked to who was part of a presidential or a campaign detail when Donald Trump was in their jurisdiction says the exact same thing that he and his staff would go out of their way to thank the police officers, pose for pictures, um, say kind things about them like they've never seen before. And I've been on presidential details and you have too, probably pre-Trump. And, uh, and you know, most presidents were nice, but they didn't, we were kind of flies on the wall. They didn't really care about us. You know, they just, we were right. there to do a job and that's fine. They were there to do a job too. But President Trump would always, he would wait forever to pose for every, with every single police officer and every single agency. And of course that upset people. And I know here where I live in Tucson, Arizona, um, that upset the chief there. And all, all of a sudden you couldn't pose with political uh, people in your uniform, things like that. And and you ran into some similar things as well, right? Yes, and, and, and you bet he did. And the, the, the key thing is, is cops have a pretty good judge of character on people. And you can tell he was sincere about it. That's the, that's the best part about it was he was truly sincere and we're all of the staff. Um, when he came here for a rally at our Target Center, um, we were always allowed to wear the uniform uh, for the Federation endorsed candidate. It was just a notification of the chief of police that we were going to appear in literature or a commercial or whatever, or a public appearance. And the, it was the Federation endorsed candidate and we were going to wear it. And that was it. That was it. When President Trump planned a, uh, uh, planned a visit to our target center, first off, Mayor Fry tried to uh, five times the fold of the cost of the uh, target center to him. They wanted to multiply the usual rent for it by five times the value. Uh, then he also said that the officers were not, who he had endorsed President Trump, were not allowed to wear their uniform. So our retort to that was we created a red Cops for Trump t-shirt. And I had the opportunity to uh, appear on Fox National News a couple of times on that, on shows and it took off and we it, it it caught like wildfire it actually made it to president trump who reached out and set up a meet with us when he was in town then. and i was in in essence called up on stage i did opening remarks at the at the target center visit and he called all of us up on stage and it was re-election and you know who's who's going to turn down an opportunity to meet a sitting president particularly one that had such a love for law enforcement as donald trump and all of a sudden you're after that um you're the police face of white supremacy basically right 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 the false narrative all all the false narrative that they had on president trump spilled over onto me it's one and the same and then unfortunately my wife got caught up in that too you know if if Donald Trump is a, is, a, is a Hitler, that makes me a Hitler, and that makes my wife, Ava Braun, it was just nonsense. Um, but unfortunately, uh, cancel culture was very powerful, and it, it played a part. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Now, um, as a part of that, obviously, um, you were involved in the, uh, in the George Floyd situation because, you know, you're uh, the union, the federation, president. So how did that impact your life and ultimately your wife's life? Well, when that happened, it was it was Memorial Day. I, I got the call um, from Officer Tom Lane that, hey, you know, they they thought we had an excited delirium case where a, a person 
um, either overdosed or something like that. We had an in custody, what could have been an in custody death the first time he called, second time he called back and verified it was an in custody death. So as all of those cases, you, you go in and you meet with the officers and um, the process works where we would always view the body camera footage, any other uh, camera footage they had, whether it was dash cams, body cams or stationary and marry the officers up with our legal defense fund attorneys. It's a statewide program that all the unions are part of that um, have attorneys provided for the officers and they take it from there. You just guide them through the process. You know, in a critical incident, you just let them know what's going to occur um, and guide them through the process. And that's the, that's the union's really only involvement. But you, if you would listen to the public here, you know, I, I was to bat for these guys and it, you know, you, you have very limited in, information because in an in-custody death, they have an attorney uh, provided for them and they have the attorney-client privilege and the union in essence is out of it from that point. Right, right. But that narrative did not get, that, that narrative did not get correctly portrayed by anyone. Right. I mean, you were just doing your job and, and, uh, um, and, and so was Liz. So, so follow, you know, following all that, and of course, then you had the riots and the third precinct was burned. I, I actually, I have a friend from MPD who was texting me that night, real time pictures of what was happening at the third precinct. It was, I, I just didn't believe right. it was even happening. It was extraordinary. And, uh, um, and then you and your wife, um, you got doxxed, you got, I mean, explain that. We've got a couple of minutes left. Explain they, what happened and how you came to write a book. They basically, you know, Donald Trump was evil. I had to be evil. I was defending these races. First of all, they, they made the George Floyd incident about race, which it never was. It never even race never even really came up in, in, in the trial and the conviction. And we had a, two sets of mixed race officers on there, uh, on the scene that are in prison currently. So race had nothing to do with it. It was a false narrative. Uh, the Federation had extremely little to do with it. We married him up with their attorney and that's the end of it. But um, the riots were so mishandled, they needed a scapegoat. The city had a PR crisis management firm come in and said, hey, let's blame the union. You know, your president was aligned with Donald Trump and that's just the narrative that went forth. Um, the end result of, of it was they made, you know, the connection to my wife. And then they thought, well, the media is, the, the media is biased. We had protests at our home, protests at each of our workplaces, uh, my union office, her, her uh, WCCO, CBS affiliate station. Um, we had three protests at our home. And you would think that we had everything to do with it. The reality is we had very little to do with any of this. And my wife had absolutely nothing to do with it. She was not reporting on crime at all at that time. It is an extraordinary uh, story, and uh, and it's you guys outlined in the book. Do you have the book to show folks? I do. Um, it is the, the book can be found at theliexposed.com, theliexposed.com by Liz Collin. They're lying. The media, the left, and the death of George Floyd. So it's available on Amazon. It has been an Amazon bestseller. Uh, it was released not not even three months ago, and it's been a bestseller. It's been doing great, but the truth is told from that book for sure. And that's what I love about the book. That's what I love about you and Liz is you is she tells that story in the book um, from a uh, just one of the most unique perspectives 
any police wife can have. And, uh, and I would re strongly recommend anybody who's interested in the truth, uh, go to that website and then also, you know, go to Amazon, buy that book because it just, uh, it's just extraordinary. And, uh, and you guys are two of the most resilient people I've ever seen when it comes to the false narrative that somehow American law enforcement is the problem. True. It, you know, from her perspective with the media and my, my perspective with the PD and the Federation and having a front row seat and having handled so many critical incidents in the past and seeing the false spin, we just couldn't stand by and do nothing. And uh, that's in Liz's skill set. So she took it and ran with it. And I'm very happy she did. And like I said, the book has been a great success. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's not about size. You know, the, the extreme left is taking this. I would challenge anybody that would, if you will, on the other side, take a read of the book and you realize, man, boy, maybe I was wrong. Yeah, you are absolutely right. Tell us again, uh, the website, where people can find you, where they can find Liz and how they can buy it, the book. It is uh, thelieexposed.com and it's uh, authored by Liz Collin. They're lying, the media, the left, and the death of George Floyd. Websites, lieexposed.com. And it is uh, one of the recommended readings in my own classes for law enforcement. And uh, But I really want citizens to, to read this book and hear what you guys have to say. Lieutenant Bob Kroll, I cannot uh, thank you enough for taking time out to talk to me this morning. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.